Hello. Hey, Tony. Can you hear me? I can. I can hear you just fine. All right. See how that worked out? Is that nice? Nice. All right. Well, so are you in a comfortable place? Uh, what do you mean? Emotionally? Physically? <laughs> spiritually? Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm in a comfortable place. Yeah. I'm okay. Just sitting here. I'm just sitting here having a beer watching the end of the world. That's all. Good. Is there an opening song or something? Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you won't hear it. I add that. I edit that in later in, in post-production. Oh, okay. I have my people What is the opening song? In the oh, studio. your people. Yeah, people, huh? <laughs> it's, it's I never me. had people. <laughs> the opening song is a sound clip that um, my friend Jack made for me. I don't know if you met him. But have you seen the like cartoon video of my Ted Ed thing with the hero? No. In there? You've never seen that? No. The cartoon video? Shut up. Yeah. I, no, 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 no. You never send it to me. All right. We're going to play it right now. Um, Will I see it? I'm going to text you a little link and you'll oh, see okay. it. Because it's kind of, it's kind of necessary background. Um, okay. And it will take you two minutes. You know what? One of your people should have contacted me and did a pre-interview. <laughs> and this will kind of, this will make things make sense to you. That'll be, that'll be a first. <laughs> That's the whole point of Ted Ed. What do Harry Potter, Katniss Everdeen, and Frodo all have in common with the heroes of ancient myths? What if I told you they are all variants of the same hero? Do you believe that? Joseph Campbell did. He studied myths from all over the world and published a book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces, retelling dozens of stories and explaining how each represents the monomyth or hero's journey. Okay, I'm going to interrupt the audio track for this video and just tell you, you got to pause the podcast right now. Go to YouTube and search for Ted Ed, What Makes a Hero. Uh, it's totally worth it. It's four minutes. The animation's amazing. And then just, um, you know, drop right back in at this point. Here we go. The hero's journey myth exists in all human cultures and keeps getting updated because we humans reflect on our world through symbolic stories of our own lives. You leave your comfort zone, have an experience that transforms you, and then you recover and do it again. You don't literally slay dragons or fight Voldemort, but you face problems just as scary. Joseph Campbell said, In the cave you fear to enter lies the treasure you seek. What is the symbolic cave you fear to enter? Auditions for the school play? Baseball tryouts? Love? Watch for this formula in books, movies, and TV shows you come across. You will certainly see it again, but also be sensitive to it in your own life. Listen for your call to adventure. Accept the challenge. Conquer your fear and claim the treasure you seek. And then do it all over again. Oh, that was really well done.
that was really well done. Yeah. I wish you would have showed that to me before the world ended, but you know, maybe <laughs> I had some use, made some use out of it at this point, you know. Yeah. Well, well, that's the thing. So here, you know, so you, you've just seen the Ted Ed uh, video, what makes a hero, um, you know, right. props, shout out to you know, everyone at Ted Ed and especially uh, Kirill Yaretsky who did the you know animation and directed the video. Um, yeah. And he, yeah, fantastic job. And it was, you know, great opportunity for me to get to work to, with those guys. And, you know, I went down to New York city and like, you know, did the narration in the sound stage. So it was, it was really fun. Um, nice. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, that a clip in the middle where it says, you know, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. was kind of the inspiration for um, this podcast where, you know, we talk about those different caves that we have all passed through in our lives, um, whether, you know, it was intentional or accidental. And, you know, I think that just to kind of set things up and introduce you, um, you know, you are Tony Darrow and you <laughs> are a, a stand-up comedian and <laughs> a formally employed stand-up comedian. <laughs> well, yeah, and and I think that that's a very timely topic, right? For you know your your gig is basically going from cruise ship to cruise ship and and doing your routine. Well, actually what I thought was I I would just stay home because before this even came out, they were they were they they had passed a thing like if you just come from certain countries that I just come from like Singapore and and Taiwan and and uh, wherever um, they were they were imposing like a 14 day rule like you couldn't be on a ship within 14 days then it was going to go to 28 so I figured I'd just you know be off for March and just work in the city but now you there's everything's closed. Right, so you're thinking yeah, was, I was to do. To the month off. I, I was looking forward to it, to be honest with you. Yeah, and just do like the comedy clubs in Manhattan. Just do a comedy cellar and just you know do gig gig masters gigs and I you know and, and uh, but now there's nothing. Yeah, so so you you're in, yeah you're in that cave now, like in in the career, you know, layer of your life, like totally by accident. Oh. You got tumbled in. Oh, it's a it's a catastrophe, no doubt about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, did you ever see the movie The Freshman with uh, uh, Matthew Broderick, and Marlon Brando? Uh, I don't, I don't know. If I did, it's, it's I, an old movie. It's it's an old movie. It's a it's a good movie, but it's uh, there's a scene where Matthew Broderick uh, he like does his voiceover. He says, you know, there's a certain. I'm paraphrasing, but it's something to the effect like, there's a certain peace and being totally fucked you know it's just like there's certain calmness comes with them you're totally fucked and we are totally fucked <laughs> so <laughs> yeah no i mean uh, all the people who are involved in you know the restaurant business or you know air airline travel it's it's you know oh, forget about it i mean i was in the atlanta airport on friday friday you know afternoon um on, uh, one of the busiest airports in the world. It's, everything's closed. Wow. No, I couldn't believe. I went through Buenos Aires Airport at two temperature checks. Went through the uh, Santiago Chile Airport, two temperature checks. I fly into Atlanta, the home of the uh, CDC. No temperature checks. 
Does that make any sense? <laughs> I, I, I don't know what to say about that, man. Uh, you know. Interesting. Yeah, just, uh, you know, hi, hey, welcome to the U.S. Just spit on anything you want. You know? <laughs> <laughs> We're going out of business anyway, so, you know. Yeah. Everything's closed. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's spooky. Yeah. Yeah. There's, and yeah, there's definitely a lot of uncertainty and, um, you know, a lot of tension, but, um, you know, one of the, one of the purposes of this podcast, I hope is to, you know, give people perspective and, um, inspire them to feel a little bit of courage and a little bit of agency in their lives to, to make changes and to, you know, be proactive or to react in a way that, um, you know, they can kind of stay calm and, and, push in a certain direction at, at a fork in the road. Well, so maybe they should just pay attention to what's going on and stop watching television. You know, I don't know. You know, I was, I was rereading, uh, Richard Clark wrote a book. She's probably, I don't even know how many years ago, uh, called warnings about like past warnings about stuff and then future warnings uh-huh. about, um, and, uh, you know, what course one was a, a pandemic. And like, if you, just, I was just rereading that chapter about like, you know, everything, you know, this, this could have been much, uh, better contained. You know, we've been, we would, should have been much better prepared for this than we are. And what, and now it's going to cost us. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, sorry. No, sorry. Are, we, are, we, are we recording yet? Yeah, yeah, yeah we're on. This is we're, oh, we're on. I'm sorry, <laughs> <laughs> but everything's gonna be okay, everybody. I'm just saying, you know, no, no, it's gonna be, you know, you know, kind of stepping away from the the current week and you know everything that's happening right now in terms of you know the world and you know your career and how that you know is affected by everything in Manhattan closing down. One of the things that we've done with this with the show, like, um, and you're only my second guest, so <laughs> it's still a work in progress, but you know, what I'd like to do is just kind of rewind. Um, I feel like Eve. You feel, you feel like what? Eve. What does that mean? You know, Adam and Eve. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you are. Okay. I'm, I'm your um, Eve. You're my Eve, Tony. <laughs> so, um, what I want to do is just kind of take a big step back and like look at the the whole arc of your life and kind of pick out, you know, those moments, those caves that, um, that stand out to you as, you know, the difficult times and you know, oh. whether they were by choice or by, um, you know, you know, circumstance. Um, They've always been difficult times, Maddie. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've They're, lived a pretty charmed life. I mean, a lot of people would be envious of uh, your... I, I don't know why people think that, you know. Well, you have all this freedom, you know, you get to go all over the world, you know, headlining yeah. out in shows. Yeah. But, you know, I, well, I didn't, uh, you know, nobody gave it to me, that's for sure. I mean, you know, I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't have any, you know, con- you know, contacts or anything like that. Just, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, let's, let's kind of, you know, step through the story. We won't give it all away at once, but, um, or education. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's look at the education. Or money or anything. 
What? So, so I have no education. Well, I, I know. Um, yeah. Well, actually, I, I disagree with you, but we'll get to that. Why? Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. the the first time that um, you know I've started hearing, um, I I know a little bit of your story just through um, our connection, through right. uh, through the women in our lives. But um, <laughs> so, so oh, back all those women, yeah. <laughs> so back in. Uh, um, the golden days of, of Monroe Woodbury high school. Um, oh, yes. When, when you had a big bushy hair back in seventies. Uh, I uh, still have bushy, big bushy hairs. It's on my back now. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I gather, you know, that, that yeah. there was a moment when you had to make a choice about what came next. So you want to just talk us through that? <sighs> God. Uh, let me think about this now. What can, what can, uh, hmm. I don't know. I guess I always could kind of live that way, you know, um, what comes next. So I don't know. I just, uh, you know, figured it out as I went along. I never really, you know, I never really plan. I don't think that I ever really planned long term. So what, I was too busy just getting through this week. So, so what came after high school and how did that happen? Uh, well, what came after high school? Well, you know, I was, uh, uh, I, um, was, um, what was I? Uh, <laughs> I was, uh, you know, an aspiring actor and, uh, and I, I did some work, but I was, you know, I didn't, you don't realize how young you are when you're, you know, in your late teens and early twenties, you think you're grown up, but you're really just a kid. But, um, I'll tell you a funny story when I was, uh, I guess I was 20 years old. I did a pilot for CBS that uh, Bob Keisha produced, Captain Kangaroo. You remember Captain Kangaroo? I do. And um, and I remember like he was so kind to me. I remember like sitting around the pool in Nashville, like drinking like triple scotches with him. And uh, recently, I looked up to see how he was like an old man at that point. This is like 1979 or something. And uh, it is 1979 actually. And uh, I looked up how old he was at that time, uh, and he was 10 years younger than I am now. <laughs> <laughs> and you were looking at him like he was ancient. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> so, so that pilot, was that in New York or L.A.? No, it was actually, well, I, w I was cast, I guess, two, I think two of us were cast out of New York and two of us were cast out of LA, but uh, it filmed in Nashville. It filmed okay. at the uh, uh, Opryland. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, this was not, geez, thirty years, forty years ago. So Jesus, more than forty years ago. <laughs> I'm old. I'm old though. So you, you went to high school, you know, an hour or two north of New York City, and then right. from from there you started doing auditions and well, stuff did, in New York City. Well, I did plays in school, and I did uh, summer stock in the summertime. And, uh, and then I just, uh, I got, uh, you know, I started, I, I actually, I got a, a scholarship to a school in New York City, a, an acting school, the Dramatic Workshop. Um, and I started getting like small stuff and, and uh, I, I was up for this. Uh, what was your first paying gig? Oh, probably like summer stock, like, you know, doing like the, the my first paying acting gig was probably like the Ridgebury Theater up there by... Uh, is that Berkshires or something? Or? 
No, it's up. By, it's like somewhere between Middletown and Port Jervis. Okay. Yeah. So like a couple summers, I did shows there. It was the first paying gig when I was. Um, Were you singing? Was, I guess and I was dancing and all the Broadway yeah, stuff. That's it, baby. Singing, dancing, uh, talking. I was even talking. <laughs> and then uh, I got a job. You know, I worked for. Um, I got a job working for Stallone as a stand-in on Rocky II. When I was eighteen. Nice. And then I got the scholarship after that, and then I started like going on auditions and stuff. But then I was like, you know, it was. I guess I didn't realize how well I was doing at the time, and I was impatient, and I just, I just had to get out of it for, you know, I just had to give it up for a while. I just had to walk away from it. For, I was up for this part in this Broadway show, and uh, and the callbacks went on for like two months, and then last, uh, the last audition, I'll never forget. I knew that. I was, you know, I was only about like 21 at the time. The guy was supposed to be like about 10 years older, but uh, I knew it was down between me and two other guys. And I, and the last audition, I just felt like, all right, just don't blow it. Don't take any chances, but just don't blow it. This part is yours. And that was a mistake. But the director of it, Franco Zaffarelli, uh, I didn't get the part and that, that was devastating enough. But the director of it, I read a couple weeks later in the newspaper, Franco Zaffarelli, he had to drop out because he had a movie commitment. So now he couldn't direct the uh, play. So the uh, the husband of the woman who was starring in the play uh, took over uh, uh, as the director. Uh, the woman that was starring in the play, uh, her name was Joan Plowright, and her husband was Lawrence Olivier. So um, I was like seeing, like I had come this close to being a Broadway show directed by Lawrence Olivier. I was like, you know what? I need to take a break from this for a while. <laughs> I was just like, it was like devastating. Man. at the time so then did, did you take a break i did i certainly did i walked away and i decided to get back into it and i ended up uh well what'd you do well. during the break that's an interesting moment right so yeah. you know that was that was a cave right here you you know you're fighting and fighting and fighting to get to that thing and then you just missed it <laughs> well i just stopped trying i didn't i would yeah. say just missed it. i just stopped trying it just wasn't worth it at the, at, the, at the time it just wasn't worth it for me so then after that i you know ended up uh, uh well uh, i had so many different jobs but at some point i ended up uh, opening a, a car service with this other guy what happened was i got married and moved to boston and then my wife got pregnant and at the same time, this guy was having trouble. He had started this business. And he was having trouble with his partner. He wanted me to come in and be his partner. So it made sense to move back to New York. Having a kid, you know. And what kind of business was it? It was like an airport. Well, it was an airport service. Like, like, basically an Uber service for its time. Mm -hmm. But we had uh, we ended up having some good accounts with law firms. So we did uh, pretty well. But then after a few years, I just like, all right, well, I'm not going to do this for the rest of my life. I just... You know, and then I decided what well, I wanted to get back into acting, and I figured the best way to do that would be to like you know try to get into stand up, and then I ended up doing stand up comedy. I don't know how. <laughs> Just <laughs> well, what what? So so that's an interesting. You know, thinking about that video that you just watched, right? So like mm -hmm. you know that concept of you know that our lives kind of mirror that formula in some ways. And, you know, that, that call to adventure came back to you like, Hey, Tony, you know, this is, this is where you belong. You belong on stage. And then, you know, how, how did you get into 
you know, stand up. Here you are, you know, a, a, you're married, you're, you're a dad, you're, you know, working in a livery service. Um, what was the first step? Like, did you have some old contacts you could tap or did you just like show up at open mic night at the uh, cellar? What'd you do? No. Um, not even the, the cellar wasn't even around yet when I started doing comedy. Wow. Um, you're old. I am old. <laughs> uh, no, what happened was uh, um, I took a class uh, that I don't even know if they still have the new school in New York City. Yeah. They used to have a, a you know, like a thing, a new little free newspaper on the streets and then list their classes. And I saw, you know, how to be a stand up comedian. You know, it was like a hundred bucks for a six week class in somebody's apartment. Um, and, uh, you know, so I did, did that class. And, um, and then at the end of the class, you performed at a club that used to be in the city called Who's On First. So, um, and then that was my, uh, uh, was that the first time I was on set? I might've done some open mics before that. I don't know, but uh, that might've been the first time I did stand up on stage. I don't remember actually, but that could have been the first time. Huh. And, and so I then, just started doing it. What? No, so then you were gonna say you just started getting getting picked up or did you get someone who was finding places for you to perform or had, had that snowball? Um, well, I can't, I think I came in at a good time because they needed bodies at the time. So I get a lot of gigs like I'm seeing, um, you know, so and I got, I got a lot of stage time. You would make a lot of money, make me you know, like $60, $70 for the night, but you know, you were getting stage time and, uh, um, but now I, you know, now they do these things they call bringer shows. I got to bring like five people to get on stage. If I was starting to do a cut, doing comedy now i wouldn't even know where to begin mm. and then i started um, writing for this service called um comedy on call we'd write jokes and then different radio stations would buy them like morning zoos and then they'd mm. send you a check each week for whatever jokes that you know hmm. that you sold and then and that went from so interesting to, so yeah, yeah i mean you know so you heard the you got that call to get back on stage and then kind of a little plot twist where you ended up getting some success on the writing side, you know, and, and not, not just the performing side. Uh, yeah, I actually preferred, I actually, honestly, I really like the, uh, when I write, when I was writing, I get up in the morning, read the news, write some jokes. They'd be on TV that night. And that was like a good day for me. That's all I wanted to do. But I got to stay home a lot. And, um, you know, it was really good. Like when my kids were growing up, I got to be home a lot. And so, then so after you, 9-11, that all changed. But so you were making enough money with that that you gave up the car service business? Oh, I gave that up in 1988. Yeah. So Actually, how, I gave it up in 1987. Then I managed another car service for a year in Westchester. Yeah. So then, you know, 88, you got you you did the writing jokes from staying home and then how long did that last like how long was that run a decade uh yeah i'd say about uh i'd say until you know 2001 wow that's a yeah, good until run 911 until 911 then after 911 you know a lot of things changed so how did how did 911 impact what you were doing 
Well, because I, I was my friend nobody and I, bought, we nobody were bought just, jokes we're anymore. Just, no, we were doing a show that we just we we're just starting to put up in theaters, huh? and I don't think we had we we had a date set up at this theater in New Jersey, and it was. Oh, hold on, hold on, rewind sure. a little bit. So, so at some point, you know, before two thousand one, you had right. gotten an idea in your head, like, hey, I want to produce a show, or like, how did that? Like set that up for us, lay it up. Well, no, actually, well, uh, my friend and I worked. We I wrote together at Saturday Night Live, and then oh, we what? And, well, then, hold on, Take, yeah. rewind a little more. So, when did okay. you start writing for Saturday Night Live? Oh, I don't know. I got to go. <laughs> got to go back in my mind now. Well, I mean, before <laughs> I wrote for Saturday Night Live, I wrote. I mean, I wrote for Letterman. I wrote for Bomar. I wrote for Leno. Um, Saturday Night Live. I guess I started writing for Saturday Night Live and. Uh, 98. Yeah, I think 98. 97 or 98. So that whole... Before that, for Letterman. Yeah. So that whole decade of the 90s, you were like writing for like these big name late night but shows. I, I had a good deal going with Letterman because they would just pay me salary and I would just submit monologue jokes and I didn't have to go into the office or anything. So that was, uh, that was kind of nice. So everyone who thought David Letterman was funny, it was really you. Or someone else. <laughs> <laughs> I remember once looking at a Timer Newsweek magazine, Jeff Greenfield had written a story. And on one side of the uh, uh, story, there was a joke by Leno. On the other side of the story, there's a joke by Letterman, you know, with their picture and the joke. And I'd written both jokes. Nice. But, you know, I didn't get any. My name wasn't there. <laughs> yeah but you got to stay home with your family so it was great yeah Win, yeah nice so wow so you're doing that through the 90s doing great and then you decided hey let's do an art piece off broadway no so no, what did you... i wouldn't call it an art piece it was more of a uh it was a variety show but we also had uh you know, we had short films, we had sketches, we had, uh, you know, we had a, a, a singer. Uh, and every and every time we did it, it would be different, except for the short films that we made. Um, and we were just starting to book it in places. And I remember my friend and I, my partner, we were, uh, we had two dates to choose from at this theater in New Jersey. And one was the weekend, uh, like right after Labor Day and the other one was like towards the end of the month and he said like we should wait because the weekend after Labor Day it's not going to be good down New Jersey I'm just like oh let's take this one now let's take it you know and maybe something else will open up for the end of September let's you know get get this while we can you know, we put a lot of money into it you know so we get some of that money back which was which when we did that show it was a Saturday before 9-11 um and then that was it. Man. Because, because we had a lot of people in it and, and everything like shut down for a few months. And then it was like, oh, I got to go back to work. Hmm. You know, it was uh, pretty similar to this situation, actually. Interesting. Now, I don't know what the... Uh... <laughs> so how did, for the, you know, for 2001, like, um, what, how, how did you get out of that... Uh you know, slow down in terms of, you know, the, the opportunities. I uh, started doing cruise ships. Oh. Well, 
guy gave me a call one day said hey you want to do the thing and i'm like okay <laughs> you know it was like um and then um you know i, I used to do like maybe eight to twelve a year but then as you know my kids grew up and you know the clubs all died out there's no like you know i used to go on the road and do clubs can't Really, not too many of those worth doing anymore. Now and now, you can't do any. You know, they're all closed in this in this area anyway. I guess in California as well, right? Yeah, I mean, all the restaurants this you know this month they're yeah. all shut down. Everything so, so closed, though. before the cruise ships, like, were you yeah. doing actually performing in the variety show that you were hosting? Oh yeah, of course, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. So oh, yeah. So you, yeah. So you kept your stage legs under you. Um, yeah, but I will say that once I got out of writing, um, it was better for me as a performer because, uh, you know, like sometimes I go like three weeks, you know, without being on stage because I'd be working, you know, SNL or whatever. And, uh, you know, and you have to, then you have to go do 45 minutes and you're like, you can't remember anything because it's not hmm. second nature. But yeah. I'm hoping now, after all these years, it doesn't matter anymore. Well, please, <laughs> I, I, I expect to be unemployed for quite a while. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, so. But I can afford to stay unemployed until like Tuesday around 3.30. <laughs> and, uh, so I'm not going to panic until about 3 o'clock on Tuesday. <laughs> well, um, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. So, you know, the 9-11... Um, impact you know you had a an option to to do the cruise ship so that was another kind of you know escape hatch that you pulled um yeah. i mean maybe there is an escape hatch uh, th from this scenario too we just haven't found it yet um yeah you know what i'm more worried about the the kids and you know i'll be all right but uh you know i'm worried about like the, what what the boomers have left the um, the following generations what a what a disaster! Yeah. Here you go, kids. Good luck. <laughs> well, uh, let's talk about the the next generation. Um, so, how many kids have you got? Two. And so, and they were and a, and a granddaughter. Nice. Shout out to the granddaughter. Yeah. Um, so one one kid born in the eighties, another one in the nineties, sort of exactly eighty four and ninety four, right? Huh? Yeah. And um there's a part. <laughs> same wife though, same mom. Uh-huh. Yep. And so um you know, we, we kind of ran through the the arc with the career. How how about the family side? Well, we're gonna have to decide I I'm trying to say where in that arc I, I am right now. I'm hoping <laughs> I'm <laughs> But uh, what do you mean on the family side? What do you mean? I don't know. Um, you know, any any big moments? I mean, obviously having a kid, having your first kid is a big one. You know, get married. You know, kind of changes things. It's a big fork in the road. Yeah, but uh, it went by fast. <laughs> <laughs> and, and now this. <laughs> I mean, what the? F <laughs> uh, yeah, it's. Uh, yeah, I mean, my son's uh, 36 years old. Yeah. yeah. My daughter's 26, so it's, um, 
Yeah, no, it's, uh, now I'm communicating. I'm, I'm talking to him and my granddaughter through um, FaceTime today because nobody can be near each other. It's, you know, they know I just came back to the country, so they want to wait two weeks before they let, let me near the baby. But it's like, it doesn't matter now, wherever you go. Right. You know? And, I mean, how are you guys coping? Um, you know, same, you know, um, give, working from home and, you know, just, we, we went out for a walk today. It was a beautiful sunny day in California. Um, yeah, we did that too. We went for a hike and uh, yeah, where it was, but it was nice. Yeah. You know, it's funny, you, you cross paths with people and they, you know, you try and keep the six foot, you know, thing. So it's a much wider orbit. Um, right. But I think everyone was glad to be outside, you know, after being cooped up all week. So yeah, yeah, it's just uh, I don't know how people are gonna um, uh, deal with being uh, locked up. Like my son and his wife, they're both locked in with the baby all day because uh, they have to work from home. Plus, the daycare is closed, and they can't go anywhere. There's no place to go. Yeah, you know. So. Um... How long can you do that before you want to, you know? Huh. Yeah, yeah, before you go stir like crazy. My, my, a friend of mine just had a heart transplant the other day. Uh-huh. And uh, he was in the hospital um, back in December. And uh, after five weeks, they sent him home. But they would have two different psychologists come visit him each week just because they never realized like, just how he started to go stir crazy just being in the hospital that long. Wow. And uh, now everybody's going to be locked up for, I don't know how long, you know, when do, uh, how long can you be locked up with your wife for a week? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Anyone. Yeah. I I feel, I mean, you see the, the memes on Facebook and Twitter about people who are like, teachers should be paid a million dollars a year. Like I do not know how teachers do this all day. Um, (laughs) But um, I so there's a story that I think listeners would enjoy hearing about uh, on your personal side, where you had a high school girlfriend, and then Uh, you you guys. (laughs) This is why people tune in. This is I I need this. I need the advertisers. (laughs) Oh man. Can't we just talk about the apocalypse? That's not enough for you. <laughs> no one wants. No one wants to. They, they can tune into news channels for that one. You got like six days to the end of the world if you're worried about recruiting some viewers. Uh, so yeah, high school, yeah. high school. Okay. You're uh, you know an aspiring right. actor. You're like this you know okay I'll fine figure of a man. Well, that hasn't changed. But, uh, <laughs> Oh, uh, God. All right. If anybody's listening, who's going to listen to this? Probably like no, nobody. nobody. I have all zero right. listeners. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, years ago, when the internet first came out, like in the 90s, uh, many, many years ago when, when like AOL was a thing. Well, well before, before there, let's, let's set it up with high school. So Okay. So, well, yeah. So we were, I was, uh, you know. I had a girlfriend, and we lived together in New York City. What was and her name? And then we broke. I think you know her name. Well, yeah, <laughs> there are right listeners who don't know her name. I don't. Let's think just it's call right her L. To, we'll call her L. Okay, we'll call her L. 
so what happened was well, well wait what did you like most about her what what attracted you to her <laughs> this is a family show isn't it oh <laughs> whoa whoa <laughs> keep just... it pg <laughs> I'm not going to talk to you about my sensitive feelings. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but anyway. Um, I didn't know you guys lived together in New York City. I didn't realize yeah, that. Yeah, 90, 95 Christopher Street. Yes. Wow. And, um, and just a few blocks you were from the cellar, to, actually. And you were trying to make it as an actor at the time? Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and, and so uh, she was paying your rent. You were one of those. No, no, no. I was still working in bars and stuff, you know. Okay. And what was she um, doing? She was working in a bank. Okay. Uh, so anyway, after we, you know, broke up, but we didn't see each other for uh, what twenty-seven years. Well, why'd you break up? Oh, I was, you know, I might have been a little difficult to live with. <laughs> <laughs> but did you stay in New York or did you leave town? Uh, I stayed in New York. Um, no, I stayed in New York. Uh, yeah. okay. I, I lived in New York my entire life up until like, I don't know, six years ago, whenever I moved to Connecticut. Huh. Um, but, uh, but then uh, what happened was um, her sister, who we'll call Kay, uh, and I share the same birthday. And years ago when the internet first started, um, I signed up for this thing, classmates.com. Did you ever hear that? Okay, yeah. And um, and I get an email one day uh, at so-and-so's birthday, and it was Kay's birthday. It, you know, because we shared the same birthday, I got some email, and I said, so then I looked her up on Facebook, and then I just looked up her friends to, you know, see if Laura was one of them, and she was, and, uh, oh, there, I gave it away. And then... Uh, I uh, I wrote her a um, message, but I you know I probably took like a, a month to write it before I sent it. And I told you I had uh, I had um, uh, oh maybe I shouldn't. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> what did you edit this part? What happened? <laughs> well, you just told us you were married with two kids. So was yeah. this during that, yeah. or was this? No, 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 no. But uh, I uh, just had, I, I told you that Anthony Jessen, like, proof, proofread it for me before I sent it. I don't know if I want to smear his name and reputation <laughs> on your second podcast. <laughs> He's not going to hear it. No one's going to hear it. Does a, tree, does a tree make any sound if it falls in no one? That's this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> But so obviously, sometime what in the eighties, you and your wife had split up. No, we no we we were no we, no 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 no. This is no this is not right before then. Okay. This is in, this is this century, the eighties. My kid, my daughter was born in the nineties. That would be weird. Yeah. So wait a second. So okay. So you no. sent a note, a message to Laura, and yeah. you. Wait, so when was that? That was. That was in um, October ninth, two thousand and nine. Wow. 
That's a very good, good memory. memory, huh? Uh, wow. This is, that was a significant moment in your life. So did she respond? Immediately, yes. Wow. Yeah. And what did she say? Go punch Stop. yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Don't stalk me. You broke my heart. <laughs> Go to hell, stalker. Uh, no, and then we, you know, we like picked up where we left off. Wow. Now, in the meantime, she had, um, she had also gotten married and had a couple of kids, and that had, you know, ended. Yeah, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, I ain't, getting, I ain't going there. <laughs> that's, that's a different. That's her story. And um, so, you, so tell us about the. So you guys, you know, swapped a few emails, and then when did you get to see each other for the first time? Did you send pictures back and forth? Or it was probably no, online. I mean, no, because, you know, with Facebook, you know. Yeah. No, I would say um, we got to see each other probably the first time was uh, probably November because I was traveling. Yeah, November. I don't right remember before. the exact date. <laughs> you know what? I could actually find it for you. <laughs> but, so, so, and where was it? You You arrived in New York and she met you at the airport? No, no. We went out to dinner at, um, at and, and uh, I met her in Connecticut. We went out to dinner in Connecticut. Nice. It was, it was a Thursday. What was she wearing? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> what do you remember? I mean, were you nervous? Uh, uh, yeah, I guess, you know what? I I guess I wasn't nervous if I got like to like the corner where I had to turn by her house. I'm like, oh shit, I'm almost there. <laughs> but uh, then, yeah, but then it was weird. But you know, but that was that seems like a hundred years ago now. Yeah. And, and then, I just. So what happened after that? I'm I'm watching the I'm watching the television show. What happened after that? Yeah. Um, we just um, you know. We just started uh, traveling together a lot, and then you know, we moved in together, and uh, and now we're uh, now waiting to see what happens next. <laughs> you know, just uh, yeah. No, it's a great it's, story. Uh, it's it's I love that story. It's, do you? I do. I got a million it's, of them. It's all about it's a it's a great sort of second chances kind of story. Uh, yeah. Now we'll just. Uh, End up like uh, Daryl and Carol from The Walking Dead, just wandering <laughs> the wilderness. Because <laughs> how do we know this isn't like just because people haven't turned into zombies yet, it could still happen? It doesn't have to be like in the movies where it happens instantly. Maybe it takes like two months before you turn into a zombie. Good point. That's an excellent point. I just hope we do have a zombie apocalypse that they're fast zombies because I know that'll piss you off because of World War Z. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. We'll 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 put a we'll put a couple of links in the podcast for World War Z the book, which is valuable, and we're not going to put any links to the movie. It's yeah. just not no fast zombies. Uh, did you see that that, that Max Brooks things by, by the way with his father about staying away from your family members? No, I didn't see it. Uh, I'll send you the link. It's pretty good. 
That book was really good. I, I enjoyed that book, World War Z. It was great. Yeah, it had yeah. nothing to do with the movie, but uh, I did like the Fast Zombies thing in the movie. No, you didn't. I Don't did. <laughs> I know you think it's unrealistic for a zombie to be fast, but <laughs> I, you're okay with you're okay with <laughs> The Walking Dead. You're okay with The Dead Rising. Yeah, the I, speed. I want they, realistic zombies. Realistic zombies. Okay. That's all I ask. I, I think it'd be faster if you didn't have a lot on your mind, you know? <laughs> You're just ravenous for human flesh. I think that would give you like an extra, take a couple of seconds off your 40. I don't know. Actually, World War Z, I think, is, is a great recommendation for this moment. I mean, it's full of subtle social commentary and, you know, human psychology and insight. It doesn't have to be zombies, you know. It's just sort of any crisis fits the, fits the narratives. But... Um, Yes. With that, you know, uplifting recommendation, <laughs> we can probably <laughs> wrap this one up and uh, send well, our look, podcast listeners off. Well, just look, in one year we went from crazy rich Asians to Parasite. That's how much the world has changed. Yeah, that's, <laughs> something. All right. And, uh, well, I hope that, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something about this podcast. Okay, Anyone tell me. And the five people who happen to be listening. <laughs> This podcast, enjoy this now because in about a year from now, this podcast is going to be huge because at that point, everyone will have listened to everything because there's <laughs> nothing else to do. <laughs> so just remember, you were the first to hear the second podcast from this great <laughs> man, Matthew Winkler. It was oh, my honor. It was my honor. <laughs> wow. Yes. Well, you are you're easily... Thank you. Yeah, I mean, you are definitely easily, hands down, the most well-known personality that we've ever had on this show. <laughs> Until next week. <laughs> so, so, thank you, Tony, for your time. Oh, and, no, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Winkler. <laughs> and if there's anyone out there who needs to book uh, a stand-up comedy act in these trying times. You... 25 people or less, and they all have to be six <laughs> feet apart. Look no further than Tony Darrow, and we'll do you you'll a professional. Your, you'll, you'll see me at your local uh, exit exit ramp, <laughs> <laughs> doing doing personalized comedy. <laughs> we'll joke for food. Um, do I have a what? Do I have a professional one? Do you have like a website or a link where people can you know do a YouTube channel? People can see your stuff. Nope. Okay. I have no. Oh, that's great. I have no. I have absolutely no. Um, you're a stealth uh, comedian. You're a, except you're, for except for cursing out Trump supporters on Facebook. I have no <laughs> social media presence. You have a that's Facebook a, account. Yes, I have Facebook and a Twitter account. All right, we can link though. And an Instagram account. Do you use it? No. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get your granddaughter to post your instagram for you yeah I, I i should well i'll have a lot of time to play with it now there you go i'm gonna you get go. a lot of pictures from my deck like to see pictures of Tony's deck you can follow him on Instagram there's a link on the podcast page 
uh, along with a few other links to the books and other resources that we mentioned. And hope to uh, hope you subscribe, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Cave You Fear. Until then, take courage. Thanks for joining us.